Hello, I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're uh, Cave to the Cross Apologetics, and we're uh, the two guys who you go to if uh, you want to get into philosophy or theology, but uh, you look at those bookshelves and there's lots of hard words, or you're intimidated, and there's some Greek in there, some Latin. You know, those 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 dead people always using foreign languages. <laughs> that's uh, right. So dead so, languages. Yeah, Latin, yeah, but, yeah. Dead guys using dead languages. That's that's what we're here to do. So we're here to break it down for you, chapter by chapter. And uh, currently, we're going through a book that's ironically called "How to Be an Atheist." And so, if you've uh, joined us on the the path so far, then uh, we we welcome you once again because we're kind of right in the middle of uh, Dr. Mitch Stokes kind of argumentation where he's going to kind of flip the script a little bit. Yeah. And uh, there's probably some surprising things in the chapter that we're going to be going over. If you start disagreeing with him, just at least wait until next chapter. So this this one's probably is going to be on the lengthier side and uh, we'll probably split up into two episodes. So just at least give them to the next chapter before we throw this book out and start, <laughs> you know, saying, is he an atheist? I can't believe this. Yeah. All things are subjective. <laughs> you know, ah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so we've we've looked at uh, uh, science and we've we've tried to find grounding in it for the, the atheist worldview. And we've, um, I think, have defeated it from from at least uh, a, a point of view of, of trying to find objective grounding and also uh, whether or not uh, God exists and uh, whether science has killed God. And unfortunately, science hasn't done it. So maybe the atheistic view of morality has done that. So that's where we're currently at. Uh, we just got a few more chapters, and then uh, then we'll move on to uh, another book. But um, that's that's where we're at. And so, again, this this uh, episode will probably be two episodes uh, for this chapter, and there'll probably be a hard cut, and we'll pick back up next week because uh, there's a lot to digest here, yeah. and a lot of words, and we always want to take it slow to help you because this is our second time going through it, and even we have to go slow sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. so, so this is chapter sixteen, and uh, what he's going to argue in this chapter is that morality is personal, which is kind of an interesting thing. So most people, you know, think that you have, there's, or many people anyway, think that there's some objective morality that exists. You know, things are right and wrong in and of themselves. He's going to argue that, no, that may not be the case. That You have to have a valuer, a person, a mind in order to uh, have morality. So we'll take a look at what he has to say here and yeah. and uh, see what he has. So he, he opens this uh, article, or, or, or I'm sorry, chapter. He says, Harris and I agree on at least one thing. We both believe that all value, including moral value, requires a valuing subject, that is, somebody to value it, right? That's that's what he's getting at. Value always requires a mind to do the valuing. So you need a mind in order to do the valuing, is what he's suggesting, mm-hmm. here, right? That is, a person with a mind. Of course, uh, he says uh, Harris's most pressing problem will be that, that this close link between morality and consciousness proves too much, he says, and eliminates the possibility of moral realism or objective morality, at least if naturalism is true. Right. right? That's a big caveat that he has, especially in this chapter, is sometimes you may be disagreeing with him, but he's always going to kind of hitch hitch his ride sometimes with the, the added value of if naturalism is true. Yeah. So if indeed, for instance, uh, value right is dependent on a conscience, conscious valuer, then he says that, uh, and if naturalism is true, then um, all value is entirely dependent on human preferences, and therefore it fails to be authoritative 
in the way that we think that, uh, you know, morality ought to be, right? We think morality ought to be authoritative in terms of telling us what we ought to do in and of itself. But he says, if naturalism is true, it just depends on, and we need a valuer, if those things are the case, then morality is just dependent on human preferences, right. and, and therefore it's not very authoritative right. in the way we want it to be. So right. natural, naturalism being true is that nature is all that there is, and so there's no um, God above or sky below or however John Lennon uh, decides <laughs> to, to do it, and we're, we're hopefully not getting the copyright strike for just that little bit. Yeah, he, and, and we're saying that you know once humans evolve into a conscious, uh, uh, empathetic being, um, you don't really have these types of questions of, uh, you know, uh, harmful treatment of animals to what should we do for the environment to what should we do to each other to what should I do against myself? Right. What should I do with a family versus what should I do for a stranger who lives halfway around the world? Uh, these things cannot arise because there's no value were no, no one there to say, I value my family over the stranger halfway around the world or that I value the environment because my progeny will live on through me and I care what happens to them. We, 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 we can only have that in a naturalistic universe if we're here and we make it up. We can't pull from the ether of, of the universe and, you know, the twinkling lights say, you know, take care of the earth and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. That's so he at. gives us an illustration here to kind of help us to understand what's going on. Uh, I don't know, we might want to call it the gold cave illustration. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I, I think this is good. Right? He's, he asks the question, uh, you know, um, what makes gold valuable? Right? And uh, he says, we do. We make right. gold valuable, right? We are value makers, uh, and so gold is uh, valuable because we want it and desire it. If you're on a, a desert island and you're starving to death um, and beasts are chasing you, <laughs> <laughs> and you stumble into a cave where it's full of, you know, gold, let's say gold coins. Well, that's not very valuable. What you need is food, <laughs> shelter, defense, right, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, gold is of no value in that type of situation, right. right? So we make it valuable. We make gold valuable, yeah. right? Yeah, there, there's an economic uh, problem that, uh, that again, uh, 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 is described as uh, the, the diamonds for water scenario. So if... If you have the option of having all the diamonds versus all the water, well, which one's more valuable to you? Well, depends, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're out in the desert and you're trudging through and and you 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 know see that that palm tree in the distance, what would you rather find underneath it? A bag full of diamonds or a sack full of water? Yeah. And so, especially if you have no way of knowing if you're going to get out of the right. Desert, right. And and so <laughs> and so. Uh, for the Austrian School of Economics, there's there's the time preference that's introduced. Well, when am I valuing these things? So I might value the water, or I might understand that diamonds are more rare, and I'm comfortable, and I can get water because it's more plentiful. So I would value a, a time preference of having diamonds over water at certain points yeah, in time. Yeah. So again, what what makes gold or the cave valuable or or any of these things is dependent on. The, 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 the person who's getting chased by the bees yeah. or, or who's running out of water or who, uh, you know, discovers the gold and uh, has the backpack full of uh, water on his back. Right. So his point is that something is valuable because some conscious mind or intelligence values it. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's the point. And he says that he'll argue that naturalism implies moral subjectivism and moral relativism and moral nihilism, uh, nihilism and moral skepticism, all of which mean 
on probably the same thing, that there are no objective, which is human independent moral values, right? All values, he's going to suggest, even moral values uh, are dependent on valuers. And if naturalism is true, then it's dependent on human valuers, right? Because there's nothing else to depend them mm-hmm. on. And if that's the case, then it's relative to uh, persons or a person or whatever, or maybe it doesn't even objectively exist, right? If, if, if in terms of being um, um, uh, 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 value. So he says the first thing we want to look at is the, the nature of morality. What in the world is it, right? And so he goes on to help us to explain what that's all about. Yeah, yeah. The obligation is relative to persons, so that's that's kind of where we're at. And it seems like uh, we've we've made our bed, and now we have to lay in it. We <laughs> we we've kicked out the the theology department and the the old school philosophers who want to define nothing six ways from Sunday. And so uh, you have even Christian philosophers saying, "Well, now that the atheists have taken over, we have to kind of." redefine our terms because of, of, of what, what they're bringing to the table. And so, um, you know, there, there, are, there are definitions that we have to make sure that we either get right or that we're understanding that the old way that we have of kind of our Western ideas once, you know, kind of Christianity has done on the downslope, in, especially in academics, then, then we have to make sure that we're actually talking about what both sides are talking about. Yeah, and, and, and again, you know, we have to understand the, the radicalness of the claim that he's making here, right? In other words, there's no such thing as objective moral values. We determine, even with morality, especially if naturalism is right, what is valuable. So what does that do to morality? Everybody has their own morality. Everybody can do whatever because <laughs> right. they determine it. You know what? Yeah. That's that's it's radical. It's a radical claim. Right. Huh? Yeah. Uh, everyone does what's right in his own eyes. I think that's I think that's somewhere in some book somewhere that. Um, so, so we 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 bring in uh, terms such as uh, consequentialism, which uh, Elizabeth and and Scombe. Uh, a Christian philosopher from even back in the, the kind of the '60s era. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if she was a Christian philosopher, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> a philosopher who may or may not have identified as a Christian. There you go. Uh, so uh, she, she talks about um, uh, having concepts of obligations, duties, these these moral claims of right and wrong, of oughts and and shoulds that um, that are should kind of be done away with because uh, kind of the atheists have taken over. And so terms like ought, should, or need relate to good or bad things. Uh, and so we, we, we tend to think of them more now uh, in prudential forms as in they're, they're good for you to do. Like as we, we, as we uh, uh, did a few episodes ago of brushing your teeth, you know, it's, it's good for you to brush your teeth because you want good hygiene or uh, you care about other people around you and stuff like that. Uh, but the problem arises when we conflate the prudential sense with a moral sense. So again, we're 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 in a universe uh, uh, thinking here where um, naturalism is true, and so we're we're having to go back and say, okay, let's let's make sure we have a distinction then between is it good as in good for you, or is it good as in kind of a universal good, and. Um, and there are some some problems that arise when we conflate those things. All right. So the prudential sense has to do with uh, kind of a conditional type of situation. So, for instance, your car, if, you know, you have to put oil in it. Mm-hmm. So here's a prudential sense. If I desire my car to run well, 
then I need to put oil in it, right? right? So that's just a practical yeah. type of thing, but it's based on my desires, my wants, that sort of thing. So that's what he's getting at here with mm -hmm. regard to the prudential sense, right? Right. Um, so how did this come about? Uh, it's uh, the answer is uh, because history has said that um, that uh, from Aristotle to Christianity, uh, we have this this law conception of ethics. Christianity derives its ethical notions for the Torah, I'm sorry, from the Torah, in consequences of the dominance of Christianity for many centuries, the concepts of being bound, permitted, or ex excused became deeply embedded in our language and thought. And so that's why we have this new and, and late subjective value that, that, um, that have come about. So um, we're kind of still operating in that old, when we say, oh, it's good, we have this this notion in our in our minds is we don't always separate what that good means, and so we want to be clear in our definition. Yeah, it's 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 based on the law, right? So the law comes from right. uh, people, and and we have to obey it, or the moral law comes from God, and we have to obey it. So this kind of relationship between you know law and God, moral law and God, is what she's getting at. Right. Here, right. Right. Um, so uh, she says that uh, moral sense or obligation can't coherently survive outside a religious concept, uh, context. Outside a context that uh, uh, counterants uh, a divine moral law. And so she explains that the situation, if she's right, was an interesting one of the survival of concepts outside the framework of thought that made it a really an intelligible one. So um, you know, kind of without the, uh, a lawgiver talking about the law as, as, an, as in a universal objective law uh, doesn't really make any sense anymore. And so before that, before Christianity kind of arose within in the ranks, you always had um, questions on, like, uh, if you go back to the Greeks of, of, of what is love for country? And so you have, you know, the, the Cicero's of the world talk about, you know, do you pledge allegiance to the people of a state or what's the difference between, you know, that and pledging to the state? Or you have kind of a Machiavellian sense of what, what is, what is the best desire for a king to have? Is it to do his will and carry out through uh, kind of any means necessary? Although, you know, Machiavelli kind of gets a bad rap sometimes and he's he's hated on because sometimes he just talks in a prudential form, <laughs> sometimes to the detriment of, of lives. But um, and so and so uh, uh, we, we need to realize that uh, when people use these these terms that we can't interchange them from from what what we're talking about with good. Right. And then she says the enlightenment came. Yeah. Right? That darn enlightenment. Right. <laughs> and so the enlightenment, you know, uh, is uh, is an attempt then to justify uh, moral laws apart from God. Right. Apart from the divine law. Right. right. And so since we're not uh, hitching it to the lawgiver, uh, we once we need to recognize that uh, uh, it's being grounded purely in human custom. That is, prior to the rise of Christianity, virtually any, anyone, including philosophers, had thought of right and wrong as con, uh, corresponding to what is permitted and what is forbidden by tradition, custom, or law. In, sh in short, the rules that are of human origin, whether written or unwritten. So we kind of think of the rules of baseball. Those are objective standards. Yeah. Well, you know that if you're 12 runs up, uh, you shouldn't steal second. And so if you steal second, then the pitcher is going to be in your next batter. <laughs> well, hold on. Where is that Where is that written in, in the rule book? Well, it's not. There's you know this unwritten rule that you shouldn't do it. It's bad sportsmanship. And so bad sportsmanship requires divine strike of a 96-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> to the chin. 
so morality now went uh, beyond obedience to merely, uh, and this is describing Christianity, morality now went beyond obedience to merely human laws, customs, tradition, and came to be thought of instead as obedience to divine law, which then you have people then describing goods and bads as being objectively good and bad because you're, you have, you know, like the computer programmer says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing a, a basic computer language and if one plus one returns two, that's good because you're following what I've designed you to do. But if it comes out to be three, then he's got to tweak the code because uh, there's something within the code that's bad, meaning that it's returning false information from a universal concept of, of the creator's mind. So who is it that thus permits, forbids, or requires that these things are done or not done? As we saw prior to Christianity, it was merely we who did these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, the Christian West, God usurped mankind as the lawgiver, and over the centuries we've become accustomed to thinking that questions of right and wrong and obligations are independent of us, and it would, for example, be wrong to torture someone in order to gain some mild pleasure, regardless of what humans believed. But this is the theistic view. So where do we have this, this concept of, of other people? Because if the desire is to, to feel good or to be good, then that definition uh, might change depending on what my stated goal is. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways to make sense of our deeply ingrained belief in morality and human independence. Mm-hmm. One is to maintain the person relative aspect of the law to so continue to is, ground them in the supernatural person. Right. So that's so our, we say that God grounds law. Uh, right. Grounds them more. Right. Well, so right. if, if we're. Because he's a person and persons are valuers and therefore what he values then becomes the moral law. Right. So so m- all deists have, have this, this concept of even if it's the blind watchmaker, the blind watchmaker wound up the, the watch and, and left, but there's still that imprint of, you know, how he've, how he's created the universe. So even if there's maybe a, a less structured version like Christianity that comes about, uh, a, a general deist might have understandings of uh, laws of logic and, and laws of science ability uh, because of who God is. So they're able to ground it in that. Um, uh, the, the other is to reject the personal grounds altogether and ground them in nature. Right. So, so we either ground them in the supernatural God right. or we ground them in nature. Right. So it's right. either a part of the universe and we're discovering them because they're objective truths, like we're discovering gold in the ground. We don't just all of a sudden come up with the idea of gold once we're digging and it appears suddenly. Uh, it's there and we're, we're digging up. Or uh, we're, we're putting the, 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 the rock, we're, we're discovering the rock and we say, ooh, that rock that, that glitters... Uh, that, that's gold, and we value it. And so uh, just uh, it's just uh, right and wrong are just parts of the fabric of nature itself, however inherently implausible this bizarre supposition may seem. Mm-hmm. So part of the divine, or is it part of nature? Right. So there's some, I don't know, particle that's morally good that we're trying to find or <laughs> yeah. something like the, that. The, right? the Higgs boson of, <laughs> of, yeah, of morality. Of, yeah, <laughs> of, of murder. Yeah. <laughs> a, a great whodunit uh, uh, of, of particle physics or something like that. Yeah. So we either grounded in God or the cosmos, he tells us, right? And uh, modern philosophers took up the search for a way to ground morality objectively without having to, to deal with God, right? In other words, they, they, right. uh, they wanted to try to ground it in nature. All right, then the next thing that he does, so we've seen here that morality is, is personal, and we've tried to get a sense of uh, what do we mean by obligation, and he says that it's relative to persons, right? So, again, he's making the same type of claim. And he, now he wants to tell us that obligations are not just relative to persons, but they are relational, 
right? You have to have relationships in order to have obligations is, is what he's uh, uh, considering now. So he says, in any case, ASCOM and Taylor are right, and he thinks they are. The moral concept of right and wrong and obligation requires a mind, someone to do the permitting, the forbidding and such. And this is something... Um, uh, and this is something that the cosmos, he believes, cannot do, right? Because the cosmos you know, doesn't have a mind. It's just natural. Right. So if naturalism is true, the role of permitting and forbidding and that sort of thing falls to us humans to play. We are the ones then that forbid or uh, permit and that sort of thing. Moral concepts at least um, you know, uh, need also, he says, one additional person, right? Obviously enough, someone who is being permitted for uh, forbidden or obligated. So morality, he says, in other words, requires a society, a community, uh, however small it might be. Right. right? And, and so I, I think, and we, we went through this the first time, but what, what would he then do with the concept of suicide? Because suicide seems to be just kind of one person perspective. Yeah. Is it then, is it then that he would say, well, our... Our responsibility is more to our family, but then what happens for the person who doesn't have their family, and that's why they're contemplating suicide? You know, that, that doesn't seem to be as a relational thing as something like, don't hurt other people because you don't want to be hurt, or because there are people similar like you, or there's a law that forbids you to have um, a, a desire in your, your actions of hurting other people. Um, suicide seems to be maybe one of those areas that this doesn't touch. In terms of relational. So probably he would say something like, well, what makes suicide right or wrong, right? Well, it's, is it just the individual or does it, does it have any relational content with, with other people? How do we, why is it we would think it's forbidden, Right. Yeah, so that would be a, that'd be. A, yeah. we, we need some more explanation <laughs> yeah. with regard to that. I, I mean, you could always make a claim. So, uh, the, kind of the the the, the joke on uh, suicide being illegal is because the government doesn't want you to do with with their property, you know, tax paying property, what what uh, what you want. So right. they've made suicide illegal. So right. th there so are you, laws you, against it. So the idea is you you accumulate bazillions of dollars worth of bills. And live great. Now the do, it comes due, mm -hmm. you commit suicide. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you're getting out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, there, yeah. There might be some sort of uh, uh, law or some something that precludes us from doing it, and that's what makes this a, rash, um, uh, a, a rational um, uh, th thing to do, right. an ethical so, thing to do. Right. So, if society forbids suicide, not then it becomes relational. Right. That's how it becomes relational, right. right? Society says no suicide is wrong. Now it's now it's mm -hmm. relational, right? Now I so yeah. that's I think that's how he would have to uh, explain mm -hmm. how suicide is relational. Yeah. He says nothing. Uh, he says uh, ethical concepts expressed in Taylor. So he's working through both Ascom and Taylor. In Taylor's words, he says certain relationships of a person or persons to others. Nothing, for example, is simply permitted, forbidden, or required. A giving action is permitted, forbidden, or required of certain persons by other persons, right? So again, it's relational. He says, to put it more provocatively, right and wrong and obligations are person relative. And so uh, this raises another problem, he suggests, for Harris, right? Yeah. He says these con his concept of well-being, for instance, right, is what he's trying to ground his morality on, the idea of well-being, and of suffering and happiness are not grounded in personal relationships, Right. Mm -hmm. And in uh, the way that concepts of right and wrong and obligation are. 
And so, you know, I can uh, be injured or harmed by a shark without attributing any moral wrongdoing to the shark, right? Uh, as Taylor points out, no rules, customs, uh, nor even social life are needed in order for someone to suffer injury. So there's, so there's no thing that helps us relationally if we're just looking at well-being. And he's arguing if we don't have the relational aspect of it, then we really don't have, that's a major component of morality. Mm -hmm. And so well-being doesn't give us the relational aspect of it, and therefore uh, it can't help us to ground morality is what he's trying to say here, right? Correct. And so, you know, for instance, the shark biting us, the, uh, you know, there's no relational issue there with regard to another person. There's no rules or customs and that sort of thing, and therefore, you know, we can't say, you know, let's... Um, uh, prosecute the shark. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go back a couple of chapters and yeah. we include sharks in our in our larger circle. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So no rules, customs, or even social life are needed in order for someone to suffer injury. Right. And so rules are needed only for describing such injury as wrongful. Uh, there are no uh, preconditions of uh, injured itself. So he says it seems we need more than mere well-being for morality. And one of the additional things we need is a community of persons some in order to have this relational aspect. Mm -hmm. right. So let's kind of uh, go back and, and look at um, uh, this kind of cluster of, of moral concepts related to uh, primarily to actions. So given what we've learned, we're probably already summarizing their meanings, the obligation or duty is something we're required to perform or abstain from, and that pertains to, to something forbidden. That is, the obligation or duty is something you ought to do. So here's here's our kind of um, our new concepts as it as it relates to how many um, ethicists um, claim now because they're they're coming from a naturalist perspective. Right. So, so obligation so, is du and duty is something we ought to do yeah. or not to do. Right. So in terms of taking stock, you know. Morality is personal. You need a valuer in order to to value things. Right. And without the valuer, uh, there isn't there isn't a value. And so moral values then need a valuer. And we have various obligations. And morality is relational. You need more than just you right? mm -hmm. uh, in terms of that. Right. Uh, an action is. Uh, I'm sorry. Right action is something we were permitted to do which even could be something we're obligated to do, since we're obviously permitted to do something we must. A wrong action, on the other hand, is just the opposite. Uh, the terms good and bad are uh, uh, related to the action, and it's good for you to, ex for example, care for your children, but it's bad to neglect them. Um, and there are even people that would argue against that, too. But um, when, when it comes to an action being right or wrong, uh, it's... it's uh, better to understand it th than being good or bad. It's, it's again, um, this, this relationship and who values it and, and what's the value being described. On the other hand, we should apply good and bad to people, as in it's hard to find a good man or a good woman. <laughs> it's good and right for you to keep, uh, for you to keep all this in mind, but you're not obligated to do so. So, again, that, that kind of prudential um, form there. Yeah. And so for the next session, uh, we need to keep those those um, understandings when, when we talk about it. Good, yeah. So the next thing he wants us to understand is that obligations are never absolute, right? That is, you always have to do them, right? You, an obligation he's going to suggest here is an absolute, 
which seems odd. Yeah. Because I'm obliged to do it, right? Yeah. 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 You ought, if you ought to do it, then it seems like you absolutely ought to do it, mm-hmm. right? Right. <laughs> uh, so he says, if naturalism is true, then what dictates or determines which actions are required, forbidden, and permitted? He says, we do. Humans determine that. And the determination will depend on, notice, what humans value, <laughs> right? So, you know, different humans can value different things, and therefore, they're not absolute, right? One human might value this, the other may value that, and, and therefore, in different situations, um, different things are valued, and so there is no absolute value that we have to have, right? He says another way of putting this is that obligations are not, as the uh, Enlightenment philosopher Immanuel Kant believed, categorical, but are instead uh, hypothetical or conditional, right? right? So a categorical um, imperative is one that says you have to do it, right? It's, you, uh, you know, it's wrong to lie. Do not lie. You should not lie. Right? Maybe, maybe a list of commandments yeah. from somewhere. But. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> hypothetical is a conditional type of, uh, of, of statement, right? If you um, want to get to, I don't know, California from Michigan, you have to generally travel west, right? Notice that is a hypothetical, it's a conditional, it's a if-then type of statement. Right. So, you know, Kant tried to say that moral statements are categorical, right? You, that is... You they, don't lie, you yeah, don't murder, you right. don't... It's you like, just do them by, because that's what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. And he tried to make a distinction between categorical moral statements and hypothetical or conditional type of statements. Now, earlier he called this hypothetical or conditional prudential. Mm-hmm. So I think he's using prudential similar in the same way. Oh, yes. right? Yeah. Right? So if, if then, then these conditional statements right. are hypothetical. And so he says all obligations or duties depend on are conditional upon what we value. Well, if that's the case, then they're all hypothetical and there is no absolute categorical value. Right? They're hypothetical. If you value X, then you ought to do Y. That's mm-hmm. a hypothetical uh, imperative. An imperative is like a command, right? Uh, and so he says, to put it a different way, if there's an if part, um, um, then you have to have the then part. When a parent says, you ought to clean your room, there's a tacit, he says, if you know what's good for you. Right? <laughs> Depends on how many times they've asked you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So he says, if, on the other hand, moral imperatives are categorical, like Kant thought they were, uh, then there would be nothing conditional about them. Uh, they'd be uh, the form we generally expect. You ought to clean your room, and that's it. Right. right? You don't need the parent telling you that. That's right. <laughs> so categorical imperatives do not depend on what we value or anything else, right, if, they, if they're categorical. It doesn't depend on our desires, our wants, our values. It's just that's the way things are, right? And he suggests here that the philosopher Philippe Foot explains categorical imperatives uh, allegedly tell us what we have to do regardless of our interest or desires or what we want, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of all that, this is what you have to do. And she argued that, no, that's not the way they work, right? right? They work just like hypothetical imperatives, right? In other words, intrinsic requirements in this case are those that exist in the world apart from any human uh, dependent considerations if they're categorical, so if moral imperatives are categorical, as Kant thought uh, and argued, then uh, they contain only stone-cold shoulds and oughts and musts, and they don't have anything to do with our desires, our wants, and, and that sort of right. thing. Right. And, and again, um, 
we're 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 in this chapter alone. And so again, if if you're if you're <laughs> kind of disagreeing with him, um, uh, I, at least wait until next chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says that he thinks uh, he says, but again, I think we've uh, seen some decent reasons to deny Kant's view. Mm-hmm. If what I've said so far about morality is anything near correct, then morality is conditional upon subjective value. And if it's conditional, then it's not categorical, absolute. It is hypothetical. Right. It's an if-then um, type of uh, statement. And, right? and, and he started this, this section with, if natural is true. So yeah. we always have to look at it through, If natural is right. Very good, yeah. Uh, so mor- morality, that is conditional upon the valuing subject. Morality then becomes conditional or hypothetical upon the valuing subject, that is the person doing the valuing, right? And so, um, of course, this makes morality sound pretty subjective, right? Because right. you yeah. need a person in order to do it, right? And that's because it is, he oh, says. Man. So, so we're no longer presuppositionalists then, because <laughs> if, if everything's subjective, then then people can do whatever they want, right? That, that's <laughs> well, oh, wait, okay. if... If naturalism is true. If oh, naturalism okay. Is true. Okay. Yeah. All right. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Same day, right? <laughs> so how do we come up with, with these values? So if, if you value uh, whatever it may be, yeah, um, uh, should you then do, then you ought to do Y. So if you if, if you value X part, uh, it's often for shorthand of an entire host of values. So um, if, if there are things uh, like uh, you ought to quit smoking, uh, then, you know, you go get hypnotized or you uh, you take up vaping or you quit cold turkey. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm if, sure vaping is the, <laughs> the best thing to it depends. It depends. Yeah. Just do it before you die. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> so, so the idea here is that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, there's the if-then type of thing and the if part that uh, logicians call the antecedent of right. the conditional. The then part is called the consequence of the condition. So we don't want to get too technical right. here. Yeah. But the if then uh, could be a load of things. If you don't want to die, if you don't want people to, you know, uh, think bad of you, if various things, then you ought to do these types of right. things. Right. And it, it's not. It couldn't be all those things too. The, all those ifs might then lead to the then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, are moral imperatives or oughts really conditional in in this way? Are they kind of prudential imperatives? Uh, well, what's causing someone extreme physical or emotional pain uh, just to feel a mild sense of satisfaction? Is that is that good? Is that prudential? Is isn't that something that I just shouldn't do, or is that something that is good because you know I I value something different? Uh, well, it's no, it's not just. Of course, uh, different people have different values, but they'll have some values that guide their moral behavior. It's that uh, kind of idea within, um, uh, it might be uh, ethics too, of, of the donkey who's, who is equal distance away from two wa- water barrels and, and, and dies of thirst because you know the donkey doesn't have any thing to, to choose from well right. paralysis by analysis in this <laughs> yeah. case death by analysis, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that sometimes works for humans too <laughs> yeah. um, but uh but in, in some way you as a, a thinking creature have, have made a a value judgment against something maybe one looks tastier than the other so the donkey turns towards that one or uh thinks that the one 11 meters away is closer than the one that's nine meters away and so just because uh objectively one is actually further away, you have valued the shorter distance walk 
to, to go that way. So we're all donkeys in this situation. So. <laughs> I don't want to be a donkey. <laughs> uh, so so uh, the, the example of uh, I ought to pay back my loan, right? You've signed your name to, to the bill and you've said, I promise to pay this and you know my word is my bond. Well, okay, well, why, why should I go back 30 years later? The bank wants me 30 years from now to completely pay off uh, my house that I've, I've promised to give them their money back after they've loaned me it 30 years ago. So what should I do? Why should that be the case? Should uh, Suppose I respond, why should I do the right thing? How should you reply? It seems that I could always, at least according to reason alone, resist the imperative. I can always say, it's just not the right time for me. Uh, I don't have the money. Uh, you know, I... I, I how about had a fight I with the bank? I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like it. Yeah. Clean your room. <laughs> the correct answer is, uh, why should I pay back my loan? Seems to be something like, because you want to pay back your loan, all things considered. Right. So I mean, might, All things considered are the various ifs. Right. right. If your you don't want to go to jail, if you don't want your... Credit you know, to be bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. So, so, so there, there's kind of these unspoken um, ifs within there. So morality isn't simply a matter of logic, nor is it brute impersonal facts about the cosmos. It's a matter of personal value, this later phrase being utterly redundant. Uh, it seems like um, like it is is logical then in some in some fashion. Yeah. And so and so that that's where um, as we're coming to the end of this episode um, that that we're gonna t- to kick off from. Um, again, we're 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 doing it based off the idea if naturalism is true, and there are implications with what, and what we've covered so far that will happen, not in the, the next episode that we do, but in the very next chapter that we do. So uh, for next time... Now, now, I think we do need to clear up that he does believe that it is personal. personal. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of a different way of what we think right. when, when we describe things at times of there's objective value in the universe and it comes from God. Um, he, he's going to take it on a now, more... He believes that. He does, he does absolutely believe that, personal, too. personal, conscious, you know... And being. objective. Right. He's framing it in this ethical values right. statement. So it's kind of uh, attacking it from two sides of the same coin, maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And so it, it seems like maybe he's going to go down the postmodern path. Uh, but again, um, um, Mitch Stokes is a Christian. Uh, the, don't let the book title defeat you in, in that one. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll launch off from there. Um, and so again, we want to um, uh, present the time to to present the uh, these these chapters as, so that you'll be able to understand them. Because again, this is even our second time going through it, and we even took an extra week to to do this episode so that we can better help uh, present it to you. And so again, the, the short. Um, uh, episodes, the, the the little vignettes that we do for for each section will be up. So in case you want to pick those up and and share them and and say, oh, what was that middle part? Instead of going through the entire episode, um, each each day we release a new little uh, vignette from this bigger episode. Right. And so. so if this is helpful for you, go ahead on and hit that subscribe button. It's helpful. That helps our our channel. And uh, and uh, if you're getting something out of this, that would be uh, so. Hit the subscribe button. Yeah, or let us know. And yeah. you know. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, you know, do you view Mitch Stokes, what he's saying here as, as something good? What, what are the negative implications to it? Uh, let's let's uh, kind of have a dialogue on, on this and, uh, you know, maybe uh, start suggesting books for us to, to cover next time or uh, after we do whatever we do next, uh, you know, what what else you might like seeing done. So, uh, if, uh, again, as Tony says, if this value to you, uh, you can always uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or Facebook or through any of the, the 
various podcast uh, stuff that's out there. We're on all of them, so uh, you can check us out there. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.